0: Welcome back to Midweek Bible Study. Pastor Steve here, excited to continue our study of 1 Samuel. Uh, As the story has unfolded, we've seen the focus shift from Samuel in chapters 1 to 8 to Saul, in chapters 9 to 15, and to David in chapter 16 forward. Uh, It's not that Samuel and Saul disappear from the storyline, but they're, they're more like supporting actors with David playing the lead role. Right In chapter 16... David is anointed as Israel's next king. In chapter 17, David defeats Goliath. And in chapters 18 and 19, David escapes Saul's repeated attempts to murder him. And while David plays the leading role, in all these stories, the Lord is the hero. Again and again, we're reminded that the Lord was with David and accomplished his purposes. And that brings us to this week's study of chapters 20 and 21, where again, we'll see David in the leading role, center stage, but the Lord at work behind the scenes, preserving his chosen servant, David, a man after God's own heart. For those using notes that I sent out, uh, you'll be able to follow along our outline, which includes confirming a covenant, sounding out Saul, a grievous goodbye, food for a fugitive, and looking like a lunatic. (laughs) So then we start with confirming a covenant in chapter 20 verses 1 to 17. While Saul was prophesying unrobed before Samuel, that was the last verse of chapter 19, David took the opportunity to flee to Jonathan in the first verse of chapter 20 to ask what what he had done to to why Saul was trying to kill him, right? What have I done? Uh, What's my guilt? What's my sin? Uh, Without knowing what the problem really was here with Saul, David couldn't address it or fix it or make it right. And now when we last encountered Jonathan in chapter 19, you remember he temporarily reconciled David and Saul And you see, Saul normally confided in Jonathan, told him what he was thinking and what was going on. So at first, Jonathan didn't believe that his dad really intended to kill David. But David explained, hey, Saul probably kept this death wish from you because of your friendship with me, Jonathan. And Jonathan says, hey, listen. I'll do anything that you ask. And and this is a radical reversal of the normal sort of royal subject relations, right? It's the crown prince, Jonathan, who promises to do whatever David says. He's a true friend. Well, David hatches uh, a plan to sort of take Saul's temperature, his, his emotional temperature, and And mainly I think for Jonathan's sake, David already knows that without a doubt, Saul is out to kill him, but Jonathan isn't convinced yet. So the plan is this, when Saul misses David at the new moon dinner, he's gonna skip it, then Jonathan is supposed to tell Saul that Jonathan gave David permission to dine with his own clan in Bethlehem. Uh, It was a lie, it was a lie to test Saul's mood. And if Saul replies, okay, no worries, then David's safe, But if Saul loses his temper, it's going to show that he is determined to harm David. David reminds Jonathan to deal kindly with him, to show him this Hesed love, this steadfast love, deal kindly in accord with the covenant that Jonathan had initiated back in chapter 18. And it was a covenant, you'll notice, of the Lord, a covenant of the Lord. It was an agreement made before God Almighty. Remember, the Lord is the witness and the enforcer of this covenant. So deal kindly with me, Jonathan. Jonathan promises, I'm not going to keep any secrets from you, David. Uh, With the Lord as witness, Jonathan affirms loyalty to David. He says, here's the plan of how I can inform you of Saul's temperature. I'll sound him out, and I'll let you know either way. You can count on me. And Jonathan blesses David. May the Lord be with you as he has been, or was, past tense, with my father. And in return, Jonathan asked David to show him the steadfast, loyal love of the Lord. Hey, if I'm still alive, when you become king, David, and God cuts off your enemies, promise you won't kill me or my descendants. Spare me and mine the solidification by liquidation that was so common in that era, knocking off all potential rivals or threats. When the Lord brings you into power, and we need your mercy. Lord, David, will you show me that same steadfast love? And then Jonathan covenants for the Lord to take vengeance on David's enemies, which think about that, that includes his own dad, Saul and David reaffirms his oath of love to Jonathan. So it's beautiful, there's so much packed in here, but the allegiance between David and Jonathan has been sealed now. They've confirmed their covenant, loving each other as they love their own souls. As Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. As Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and David and Jonathan were that to one another. May the Lord grant us such friends and may the Lord make us such friends to others. Some believers like Jonathan are placed in the very, very difficult position of having to put God's ways above their family's ways. Think about the choice of allegiance to Yahweh and to Saul here. It's tough. As Jesus said later in Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Jonathan was a worthy follower of the Lord. By God's grace, may we be also, when push comes to shove, always putting God first. Well, that brings us to our second section of sounding out Saul, it begins in verse 18. Uh, Jonathan reiterates the new moon dinner plan and, and where David's going to be hiding behind the, behind, beside the stone heap. And if Jonathan tells his archery helper, the young boy, that the arrows are on the near side, then David can safely come out of hiding to Jonathan. But if Jonathan tells the helper the arrows are, arrows are beyond him, then David must go. Because the Lord, did you notice that? The Lord will have sent him away. This wasn't just about Jonathan and David and their awesome friendship, fantastic as it was. Something much bigger was going on here, much bigger. As Jonathan said, the Lord is between you and me forever. See, it was a matter between Jonathan, David, and the Lord. Maybe even in doing your own Bible study and making your observations or answering a question, perhaps you noticed how Jonathan's mind and his word are all centered around the Lord. Verse 12, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. Verse 13, the Lord do to me so, if I don't disclose it to you. Again in verse 13, may the Lord be with you, David. Verse 14, if I'm alive, show me the steadfast love, Of the Lord verse 15 when the Lord cuts off your enemies show mercy to me and and my offspring verse 16 may the Lord take vengeance on your enemies David verse 21 as the Lord lives it's safe for you if this is the case verse 22 then go for the Lord has sent you away if that's what happens verse 23 the Lord is between me and you forever forever May we be like Jonathan, with our thoughts and our words centered on the Lord. Well, everything goes according to plan. David hides in the field, and on the second day, he's noticeably missed. The first day, Saul thinks, well, maybe he's ceremonially unclean, couldn't come. Now he knows that's not the case. And so Jonathan, sure enough, follows through and tells the fabricated story about David's family sacrifice, supposedly down in Bethlehem, In fact, he even adds to it a bit. Uh, He says, oh, you know, David's brother said that he commanded him. At any rate, Saul's anger flares at Jonathan. You've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you. As long as that son of Jesse lives, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Bring him to me. He must die. Right, As Davis comments... Jonathan teaches us that true life does not consist in, as Saul says, you and your kingdom, but in reflecting Yahweh's faithfulness in covenant relationships, as he does with David. You see, Jonathan sought God's kingdom first, and keeping his promise outweighed trying to secure his kingdom, which his dad wanted him to do. Forced to choose between his father and David, Jonathan, again, sticks up for David. Why why should he be killed, he says to his dad. What has he done, right? And now Jonathan himself becomes the target of Saul's errant spear. It's very clear to Jonathan now that, yeah, his dad is intent on killing David. Jonathan was fiercely angry himself. In fact, he was so grieved at his dad's disgraceful treatment of David that he doesn't even eat. He leaves the table... And Now David's spot and Jonathan's spot are both empty, just Abner and Saul. Well, the next morning, Jonathan carried out the plan, uh, shooting an arrow beyond the boy uh, and giving the signal to run and adding, in fact, the words, hurry, (laughs) be quick, do not stay. Uh, The boy, of course, is clueless about this kind of code exchange between Jonathan and David. Uh, and when he brings back the arrows, the, the helper, Jonathan says, just take my weapons and go on back to town. And you see, that let Jonathan not just signal David, but actually meet with him face to face. It appeared that the coast was now clear for them to talk with each other. So uh, we see this bittersweet ending to this particular episode, right? It, it is a grievous goodbye, as the outline says. Uh, David comes out of hiding, he bows down before Jonathan, did you see that, three times, face to the ground. Uh, Some suggest it was an act of submission, others maybe respect, perhaps gratitude, maybe all three. The two men kissed each other, they wept together, Uh, they expressed their deep affectionate love in their friendship. You see, Saul's hostility had forced this bittersweet farewell and David wept the most, we're told. Jonathan says, go in peace, you know, not that you have a peaceful situation, but at least there's peace between the two of us, go in peace, because we have both sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be witness between you and me, between your offspring and my offspring forever. And in fact, if you fast forward, To 2 Samuel chapter 9 and chapter 21, you will see David keeping that promise to Jonathan's offspring, his son Mephibosheth. Try saying Mephibosheth five times really fast. (laughs) Okay, that's not the point. The point is that Saul is still thinking and acting in a really worldly way. Samuel had told Saul that the kingdom had been torn away from him and his line, his descendants, but Saul's still angling to try to establish Jonathan's kingdom. Jonathan, however, is more concerned with God's kingdom, and he's happy to play his God-assigned role in that kingdom, supporting God's anointed king, David. David and Jonathan, you see, they both act in ways that are very counter to the cultural expectations of the worldly ways at that time. Think about it, the crown prince, Jonathan, supports David as the leader and the next king of Israel. And David, in turn, promises long-term, steadfast love to Jonathan and his offspring. He's not gonna knock them off when he comes to power, right? So rather than being worldly rivals and acting in a worldly way, they're the best of friends in the Lord. Notice they're the best of friends in the Lord. Well, that brings us to chapter 21, where we begin with food for a fugitive. Uh, David's been on the run already for quite a while, right? You remember he ran from Saul's house in Gibeah after a couple of the spear incidents. Uh, He ran uh, to his wife at his own house. Then he had to run to Samuel at Ramah. And then now he's run to Jonathan in the field near Gibeah. And now in chapter 21, he runs to the priest Ahimelech at Nob, or Nob, I think we'll call it. Ahimelech was uh, Eli's great-grandson, if you look at chapter 14, verse 3, and chapter 22, verse 9, you can put that together. So he's Eli, the priest's great-grandson, and he was the guy through whom David could inquire of God, which apparently David did on a somewhat regular basis. And Ahimelech is alarmed that David's alone. What's, this? What's going on? You don't have anyone with you. But he does accept David's story, apparently, which is a lie, by the way about being charged with the king with some kind of secret matter that he can't explain in detail. You see here the text reports, but it does not recommend David's lie. It reports it, but it doesn't tell us go and do likewise. It's not recommending it. Anyway, Ahimelech makes an exception, and he does supply David with the holy bread. Uh, And interestingly, Jesus approves of this action as actually being merciful. If If you check out what Jesus says, in Matthew 12, verses 1 to 8. You'll see it was an act of mercy by Ahimelech. Well, since he's running from maniacal Saul and his well-armed men, uh, David hopes that uh, Ahimelech can provide him not just with bread, uh, but also with weapons for self-defense. you got a, maybe a sword or a spear lying around here, you know, and it turns out that, yes, in fact, Goliath's sword, there is none like it, is right there. It's wrapped up in safekeeping, right there in Nob, and David takes it. So now that David has food to sustain him, five loaves of bread, and a sword to defend himself, things seem to be moving in a positive direction. Yet there's this ominous note, right, with a feeling of foreboding when we read that Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen, was taking it all in, kind of from the shadows it seems like, having been detained before the Lord. That's interesting, having been detained before the Lord. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Well, with bread and sword in hand, but he's still on the run, David seeks refuge in Gath. (laughs) It's 20 miles west of Nob, but it's the closest major Philistine city, and apparently he's hoping to actually be enlisted as a servant of the king Achish. And that's pretty surprising. You're going to Gath, Goliath's hometown, with Goliath's sword, and you're hoping to find sanctuary there? (laughs) Some suggest it shows just how desperate David was, right? I mean, he'd rather take his chances with the Philistines uh, there in Gath than with Saul, who's been chasing him with a contract out on him. Well, Achish's servants recognize David as the, the king of the land, perhaps meaning... The, the leader and warrior who was famous for striking down his ten th- tens of thousands, they, they knew the ditty from Israel, and they said, this is the guy. And so now that he is unmasked, and uh, in fact, he's in their hands, perhaps even imprisoned prison, that might suggest, David was afraid. And that was really unusual for David. You do not read about David being afraid of anything or anyone very often. But he is afraid here, very afraid of what they might do to him. And so he acts insane. <laughs> he makes incoherent marks on the, the gate doors, he lets spittle run down his beard. You see, if he's insane, then he's no threat to Achish or the Philistines. And, but Achish has had enough, he has enough crazies around already, and so he dismisses David from his court. Get him out of here. Interestingly, God protects David, even through him looking like a lunatic. <laughs> It's a curious episode in in the story of David looking like a lunatic in order to get out of a predicament that he'd kind of put himself into by going to Gath. But one positive that came out of this episode was that in his desperate plight, David trusted the Lord. David trusted the Lord. Your own study included exploring Psalm 34. And in closing, if you'll also turn to Psalm 56, You'll notice the superscript or heading uh, identifies it as a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath, this very incident we we're reading about. And I think we do well to share David's example in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 56. When I am afraid, and he was very afraid, rare in his life, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Let's pray. Our great and loving Father in heaven, we thank you for inspiring your word, preserving your word, and illuminating your word to us through the Spirit. And we ask you now to center our thoughts and our words on you, even as Jonathan did, We ask you to give us the courage to act in ways that don't conform to this world, as Jonathan and David did. And when we're afraid, Lord, may you prompt us to put our trust in you. We praise you that in the midst of human friendships and envy and angry tempers and sorrowful goodbyes and even play-acting craziness, that you have been and always will be accomplishing your purposes, preserving David, the ancestor of Jesus Christ, our great Lord and Savior, through whom we pray. Amen.